Hi. Thanks for listening to the Good Trash Genre Cast. The Good Trash Genre Cast is brought to you in part by SadMenForLonelyWomen.com. SadMenForLonelyWomen.com. For all of your comedy, satire, and pop culture news needs. The Good Trash Genre Cast is also brought to you in part by listeners like you. For more information, go to patreon.com forward slash gtgc. That's patreon.com forward slash gtgc. Good Trash Genre Cast. So, dead? That's fine. How about a lie? Hmm? You want to know how I got these scars? Can you spell it? D J A N G O. The D is Okay, I get it. Okay, the no, no, who gave you these? Who taught you about these? I learned it from you, okay? I learned it from watching you! Please, we can kill it. It's your last chance to walk away. Are you kidding? It's five against one. It's three against one. How do you feel? Once I take out the leader, which is you? I'll have to contend with one or two enthusiastic wingmen. Last two guys, that was one. Are you, uh, you done this before? It's getting late. Remember, you wanted this. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where we give you a very special 150th episode where we look at Star Wars. We're so excited to be doing this. You might even call this a special edition, but don't think about those. Think about this one. <laughs> Because it I hopes to be better than what we've done before. We're very, very excited to do this uh, with you all. We're so glad you've been with us these last 150 episodes, and we're shooting forward for 150 more. But before we get any further, let's introduce the disembodied voices around the table one more time. To my right, sir, if you would. My name is Dalton Stewart, and this is an elegant podcast for a more civilized time. Thank you very much. To my left, ma'am, if you would. My name is Alexandra Bohannon, and... I was going to go to Tashi Station to pick up some power converters. <laughs> true facts, true facts. To the left, sir, if you would. Uh, my name's Caleb Masters, and uh, we had a slight le- weapons malfunction, but uh, everything's perfectly all right now. We're all fine. We're all fine here. Thanks. Uh, how, how are you guys? <laughs> That's one of my favorite moments. That, that was wonderful. It's how are you? Lo- very, very good. Across the table, if you would, sir. I am Arthur Gordon, and this is the podcast you're looking for. That's right. That's right. My name is Dustin Sells, and this is No Moon. It's a podcast. And we're so glad to be here with you all uh, talking about Star Wars A New Hope. So uh, to warn you, dear listener, this is not a review show. It's an analysis show. We may spoil and uh, tell you about how uh, Luke and uh, Han ride off in the sunset hand-in-hand on a bantha at the end of the film uh, very, very soon. But we'll avoid spoilers in case you've been living under a rock. Um, and have not seen Star Wars Episode Four, and are listening to a movie podcast, which seems to be very unlikely. So without any further ado, Mr. Arthur Gordon, if you'd go ahead and bring that synopsis from the voice of the cinema. Luke Skywalker joins forces with a Jedi Knight, a cocky pilot, a Wookiee, and two droids to save the universe from the Empire's world-destroying battle station, while also attempting to rescue Princess Leia from the evil... Darth Vader. That would mean nothing to you. Yeah. That's a worse synopsis ever, really. Yeah, it's not good. Wow. I, I, I wonder, I want to read the plot summary of Star Wars that assumes you've never seen it. It'd probably just be the trapezoid. Dear listener, as a challenge, 140 characters or less via Twitter. Send us a synopsis to Star Wars 4, uh, a-, a New Hope. We would love to hear that. Because there are no good ones, apparently. Yeah, they're all bad. So we're, we're very excited to hear that. Let's go ahead and begin with those quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews just of our experience of watching the film. Uh, I begin with you, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What do you have to say? Um, I would say, <clears throat> you know what? I don't love Star Wars, A New Hope. Um, I'm torn on it, though, because it is a cultural keystone, and so it's a very important movie uh, for what it did, but... 
on a technical standpoint, it's not a good movie. Um, editing's rough. The actors aren't great. Uh, we got a couple that are good. Uh, the story is, I mean, fairly paint by numbers movie. Um, but what it really does is do this really great world creation and universe creation. It introduces us to some very memorable characters who are a lot of fun and are iconic keystones in pop culture. And so I'm really torn because from a, from a movie, I don't, I don't enjoy watching it at all. I never do. And so, you know, there's that, but I, I do respect it for what it did and, and what it, I don't know. I'm torn. I'm really torn on it. I, I don't love it at all, but <clears throat> it is an important movie. And so I don't know. There we go. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Caleb Masters, what have you to say in terms of thumbs up, thumbs down review? Guys, this is Star Wars. It's got all the fun, whimsy, and spectacle that every blockbuster release since has tried to recapture with varying levels of success. This movie is tons of fun. Uh, and admittedly, it's pretty dumb. It's pretty sloppy. If you know the production history, you know this movie was literally thrown together and should not have been released in the form it got released in. Uh, character motivations are weak. Editing, especially this time, because I was trying to have a keen eye on things, is... And, and I watched the recut Blu-ray version. I, I mean, I know some of you, you guys watched like, the original cut. Uh, the, the editing and, and the remastered version is still really sloppy, and it looks thrown together. There's like 30-second scenes that are just there to establish something but do absolutely nothing else. There's lots of problems. There's lots of problems. Uh, now, uh, the, and the plot only makes as much sense as it has to. It's very, very shallow surface level, and there's lots of things that you just have to accept as a moviegoer. Going, that makes sense. Uh, now, what keeps the whole movie together, and why this movie I think is special, and why I did have a really good time in, uh, watching this movie, is it's despite the actors not being great, like Arthur said. I mean, Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill, they don't deliver great performances here. Yeah, Carrie Fisher has an accent in one scene, and then just doesn't. It's very yeah, strange. Yeah, I, Alec Guinness. This time I was watching him. He's kind of phoning it in. Guinness he also, is phoning it, it big way time. In. And and he and he honestly just looks like he's just kind of like he came across as kind of like a weird, creepy old man a lot which, of times. Which I think works. No, no. There's actually uh, scenes that and I was talking to Arthur about this off air that like it's almost a, he almost knew Luke's uh, aunt and uncle were going to die before it happened and like didn't warn Luke at all. But anyway, I, there's a lot of things in this movie probably, but despite that, I still think the cast. Despite like really inconsistent performances, they somehow develop this really unreal chemistry. Like you just buy into this like group status they've got going on here, and how they just joke with each other and play off each other. Uh, there's a really evident passion in this film that I think is very. It just it, it, the film, film glows. Uh, the 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 classic good versus evil, uh, good versus evil empire story uh, idea in the world that Arthur mentioned is really great. This movie's a glorious mess that shouldn't have worked on any level, uh, but. Despite all those problematic issues it has, these things, these inconsistencies fall together to make a really fun time. I, I mean, it's just a lot of fun. It's, it's, it's a mess, though. There's no, no, no doubt about it. Uh, this isn't my favorite Star Wars movie, if we're going to look at it in the context of the series. But on its own, I still think this movie holds up as a pretty, uh, a pretty important, a pretty good staple of modern science fiction and fantasy. Alrighty, thank you very much for that, Mr. Caleb Masters. Miss Alexander Bohannon, what do you have to say in terms of your viewing experience of the film? Um, I'm not a diehard uh, Star Wars fangirl. Um, I do appreciate what it has done culturally and in terms of its wider implications for, well, just about everything. You know, it is a cultural touchstone, as the others have discussed. But you're right, I, I'm in complete agreement with the others in terms of there are um, phoned-in performances, sloppy editing, um, really dry and um, and odd plot Plotting. Um, I, I remember the scene that one of the scenes Caleb was talking about where these stormtroopers are just like, look at this little piece. This is where the droids went. It's just like, I mean, there are some really uh, sloppy elements like that. But you do have to keep in mind that um, it's it's hard to consider this film in a vacuum. If you consider it in a vacuum as a sing singular piece, this film is nothing really to write home about um it is it is what it is but if you consider it as the beginning of a larger cultural phenomenon um in that lens it is a lot better than that and it's sometimes hard to divorce your nostalgia goggles and all that your cultural goggles from your from your face um it's fine i would i would own it i don't well i do own it um the, that original 
uh, that original cut. Um, but yeah, it, it is what it is. Alrighty, thank you very much for that, Miss Alexander Bohan and Mister Dalton Stewart. What say you in terms of review? I don't watch a New Hope that often. Usually, if I'm just going to watch one. I usually watch Empire or Jedi. Uh, I never watch one of the prequels if I'm just going to be watching one Star Wars movie. And I think A New Hope stands on its own. I I really do. I think, um, you know, even 40 years later, the special effects still look really good. But I think it holds up. I think it's a fun adventure film. All the problems that have been mentioned are there. Um, Some of the dialogue's a little tenured. Lucas has never been known as a great writer. I really strongly believe in my bones that George Lucas is not a good director or writer. He's a good producer. Um, the film, the Star Wars films that he produced, uh, but didn't have a hand in actually, you know, making, uh, are really good. Empire and Return of the Jedi are, are both fabulous films. They really are. Um, and Star Wars, I, I think, stands on its own. I really do. But I think at the end of the day, uh, I think Star Wars manages to stand on its own as a piece of blockbuster filmmaking. And I, I think Caleb, you really uh, said it very well when you said every blockbuster since 1977 has tried to recapture uh, what Star Wars brings to the screen. And I, I think it brings a lot a, a lot of value. It's fun. It is well-paced. It is timeless in you know the way that it um, tries to incorporate those uh, elements of George Campbell, uh, Joseph Campbell's uh, monomyth. Um, so, yeah, I... I love it, guys. What, what, fucking, of course, I, I love it. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. What I want to say in terms of review is I was a child when I watched this. I wanted to be a Jedi when I grew up. I practiced uh, lightsaber dueling with my little brother. It, it created this sort of mythology and world that is fantastic and so much fun uh, for me as uh, just a young child. It set my imagination on fire in wonderful and beautiful ways. But as I review it now as an adult man watching a movie, I see a bad script, woodenly acted, um, which is at times somewhat boring there there are moments there that are just they go on and on that that don't seem to last editing as caleb mentioned is a mess honestly it's a pretty bad movie that has a great story and uh that being said uh, that yeah it is it's just a bad movie with a good story you're wrong but that's okay and uh no i I say it's a bad movie it's an average movie it's it's very very in in some ways forgettable if it had not become the cultural touchstone that it was there are movies as good with as good of a mythology that just didn't make it because of what it is because it became a thing that everybody knows and i think that's really what we're talking about it's got a monty python effect uh, working for it more than anything. Uh, Monty Python is brilliant when you're hanging out with people who love Monty Python. Mm-hmm. And what happened with uh, Star Wars, it was much more widespread in general. It just became a touchstone, and a lot of people know it. And we can all say, that's no moon, it's a space station. Yeah. And everybody knows what you're talking yeah. about. And Star Wars was able to create that audience for that. And good on it for that. But as far as a movie by itself, standalone, yeah, it's pretty average. And so that's what I would say. Well, there you go, dear listener. Now you know our biases. Our biases are like, eh, yeah, meh. But we also, for the record, love Star Wars. We all love Star Wars, yeah. Yep. I mean, there's, yeah, we want a world that has Star Wars in it. Well, there you go, dear listener. Now you know where we're coming from with this film. Let's get down to business. It's business. That's right, dear listener, and that business is analysis. That's what we're here to do with this film. Mr. Caleb Masters. Yeah, well, thanks, Dustin. I, I, uh, there's a lot of different ways you can read Star Wars. I mean, kind of infinite possibilities, especially with the kind of the vague themes that work there. I decided to look at this a little differently, though. As a cultural, stu- as a cultural, cultural touchstone, I wanted to look at Star Wars a little bit differently and see what unique things are going on. And you know, you know what I find to be the most interesting and probably one of the most unique aspects of the Star Wars culture is the relationship between the fans and George Lucas. Uh, fans don't like George Lucas, even though he made Star Wars, produced uh, Return of the, uh, pr- produced Empire and Jedi. They don't like the prequels at all. Uh, they hate the special editions. Uh, so despite the fact that he gave us something great, people now hate him. Like the, By and large, the fan base despises him. Uh, but I, I want to I bring some different light here, because I think George Lucas gets a little too much crap. Uh, I'm not saying he's perfect. The man has issues. But I, I, I want to I put th- some things in perspective here. So, March 3rd, 1988. 
there's a case in front of uh, of uh, Congress over whether or not color uh, black and white films should legally be able to be adapted and colorized and re-released in cinema. Oh my gosh, I know what you're doing here. You know what I'm do- doing here? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so who is who are some of the directors up to bat outside of the obvious Spielbergs and Scorseses out there? Well, none other than the recent success for success recently successful Star Wars director George Lucas. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna hit a couple bullet points because he wrote he actually wrote if you get a chance go back and read his case just the whole thing but I'm gonna give a couple quick quotes because I don't want to spend too much time on it but one uh, end quote. People who alter or destroy works of art and other cultural heritage and our cultural heritage for profit or as an exercise of power are barbarians. And if laws of the United States continue to condone, condone this behavior, history will surely classify us as a barbaric society. Going to jump ahead a little bit. Tomorrow, more advanced technology will be able to replace actors with fresher faces or alter dialogue and change the movement of the actor's lips to match. It will soon be possible to create a new, quote-unquote, original negative, whatever changes or alterations the copyright holder of the moment's uh, desires. The copyright holders so far have not been completely diligent in preserving the original negatives of the films they control. Just want to put that in perspective. This is 1988. George Lucas is making a quote to to, uh, preserve film in its truest form. Now, I, I just find it ironic. I want to preface that uh, to, to paint a little bit of a different picture for listeners because I don't think a lot of people uh, to, to have seen that side of uh, Lucas. But obviously, he has had a history of tinkering with his films all the way back to audio enhancements on the original uh, VHS uh, releases that came out in the 80s. Uh, but it wasn't until he didn't get flack for any of these modifications until the 1997 special editions when he a- actually started modifying things like, you know, Greedo shooting at Han, and then you get the... the uh, Infamous Han shot first argument. Uh, CGI effects were added. You know, you pull into Mos, uh, Mos Eisley, and there's all of a sudden CGI stormtroopers and giant creatures walking around. Uh, different. Uh, he used alternate takes on exist already pre-existing scenes that were already in the film. And this was a trend that continued with the 2004 DVD re-releases, and then again, and then to a smaller degree again in the 2011 uh, releases. Uh, now, obviously, fans from across the galaxy have vocalized their preference for the original films, and Lucas, until 2006, refused to release it to the public, in which case he released an extremely limited run of the 2006 DVDs, uh, the original cuts in 2006. Uh, I don't think he actually released the original cuts. I think he just released New Hope. I'm no, pretty I, sure. I believe it was, was it just new. I think it's all three. Is it okay? I I I I, I, did, I did. It's a bad transfer that. either way. It, no, and it is. It's a it's a terrible it's a it's a terrible transfer. The DVD transfers look like shit. Yeah, no, they really uh, do. They're really bad. They do. Um, but I, I think he's gotten all sorts of backlash for this. But his rationale since the beginning is uh, you can go find quotes on this where he says basically basically he he says that I believe the vision belongs to the artist, not the studio. So for him, he's the artist fighting the artist's journey to preserve and tell the story the way he wants to. Uh, and as opposed to himself dying off, and then you have Fox, 20th Century Fox, or even Lucasfilm itself, releasing a, a version of the film he did not see complete. Now, if you go back and read comments from him all the way back to the 1970s, uh, a couple things. Uh, one of them was, he says, this movie is only 30% of the thing I envisioned it to be from the very get-go. This is something you can look, trace way back to the 70s. Uh, and he's gone on and said time and time again. So, uh... I think, though, what we have here is a very overreactive fan culture. Because these are just movies, guys. They're very important cultural touchstones, very crucial to our viewing experience. But the fact of the matter is, if we didn't have George Lucas, we wouldn't have Star Wars in the first place, and we wouldn't be even having the conversa- this conversation around this table right now. There's a pretty fun documentary uh, about this, Caleb, called The uh, People versus George Lucas. Um, I was going to recommend that. Which basically ends on the, the same note that you've mentioned, that it's... It says, you know, basically for all the, the things that he's done over the last, you know, since Return of the Jedi, for all the things he's done that pissed us off, he, he gave us Star Wars, and and I and I again, so mad, yeah. and I think that's fair. I, I think that's fair, and I and I I think that even the prequels, people, old school fans can hate on those things all they want. Kids loved it. I was one of them, and I now as a person who watches a lot of film, writes about a lot of film, I look back and I'm like, yeah, those things are very. Flawed pictures, but they're you know not what? good. No, no, they're not, they're not flawed, Caleb. But as bad. we discussed, though, go look back at the original Star Wars. It's got problems. It's it's flawed. It's flawed. It's not bad though. The prequels are. 
bad. Something else I want to bring up, Dustin, because, uh, again, another case that I think people overlook when we were talking in our group text about you know other movies that might be better than Star Wars, one of them was Blade Runner. Uh, and here's what I have to say about Blade Far Runner. better. I, I don't agree with that, uh, especially if you're looking at the original cut. But that's beside the point. I'm not, I don't want to argue about what, what's better. What I want to talk to you about is that movie also has four cuts. No one's angry about that, though. No one's angry about there being four cuts of Blade Runner. And I know what you're going to tell me. You're every gonna... single cut is actually better than episode four. Nope. <laughs> every single this one of them. This is fun nope. to watch. <laughs> I, there's, a, there's, an, there's a case to be made for the final one being better. But th- th- that movie's got lots of problems, especially the original cut. Uh, but here's the thing. My point is, though, it has nothing to do with the fact that the movie is being adapted. It has to do with the fan culture. Because there's not like this massive, crazy fan culture surrounding uh, surrounding Blade Runner that's up in arms every time we get a new cut. We're cool with it because we're like, eh. That's just kind of how it goes. But with Star Wars, where it's like you're, George Lucas is attacking your nostalgia. He's not attacking your nostalgia. He's looking at his movie saying, huh, that really didn't accomplish what I wanted it to, so hopefully this can do it better. And I'm not saying that's okay, but I think there's an unfair treatment of that director. Why are people not angry at Ridley Scott? I don't know, because it's a better movie. But that would be my suggestion. But I will, I will leave it at that. Thank you very much for that analysis, Mr. Caleb. I've watched Masters. all four cuts of that movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah that there are, and I'm, I'm not mad about any of them because they're all pretty good. Uh, in my opinion. So there you have that. I love Blade Runner so much. Uh, Miss Alexander Bohannon, I know you brought some analysis today. Go ahead and bring that, and we'll see what the uh, roundtable has to say about it. Okay, so caveat. We're talking about analysis for this film only, or at least I am in the text of my uh, readings. Um, obviously, things may be different in the expanded no- universe, and because I don't Star Wars as hard as people at this table, I cannot confirm or deny. No, I can talk about the expanded universe okay, today. Nope. Or at least I'm going to try not to. All right. So, it's not important. First, first point of analysis. P- personhood and, and our droids people. Throughout the first film, uh, some of our first two characters we were introduced to are droids, androids. Autonomous, computerized robots that seem to have semblances of keen human emotion and humanity. C-3PO constantly displays neuroses consistent with anxiety sufferers, as as one myself, I can attest. And R2-D2 has a sense of duty, loyalty, and is a pretty sassy, mischievous robot in general. Um, both of them have distinct personalities. They believe in a god, their maker. They do say that at one point, or a C-3PO does. And they have free will to make decisions outside of what a traditionally programmed machine would would do. You can argue from the standpoint that, you know, having free will, having general autonomy, that droids are... Are, are mechanized people, but they're treated like subservient secondhand citizens. C-3PO asks Han when R2 battles against Chewie in the, the virtual monster D&D battle chess game system. Game looks so good. <laughs> why Why don't my feelings matter? And of course Han's like, because Chewie's going to rip your arms off if you lose, um, if he loses. And the droids are asked to be, go outside the cantina by the bartender at the spaceport because they're, you know, we don't like your kind here, herp to der. And while Lucas and company, I don't think, like the filmmakers, I don't think are making anything specifically about racism. I think there is something to be said about um, personhood and where we are in the twenty and where we are now in the twenty first century, potentially facing these issues as our forays into AI go from subservient vacuums to like potential autonomous thinking, feeling, mechanized beings. So that's like a kind of a food for thought moment. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's weird because they do sort of the um, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead sort of methodology. You're telling the story from the viewpoint of uh, the peons, right? The peasants of the story. And I, I do find it to be sort of troubling that there are these insignificant characters who occasionally play a role. You know, R2 will find the plans and, you know, twiddle out, you know, she's here, she's here, and those kind of things at the Death Star. But at the same time, they are really along for the ride. And it does sort of remove the agency of certain human beings, and it does, I guess, lift up this idea of... Um, Almost say an aristocratic idea. Some people are born to greatness, and some people simply are not. And I would go ahead and argue for the personhood of a droid. Yeah, I mean, it kind of reminds me of whenever we go to um, go to the Ministry of Magic for the first time in Harry Potter Five. We go to the Fountain of Magical Brethren, and you have the Wizard and the Witch, and then the Centaur, the Centaur, the House Elf, and I think I can't remember if the Goblin or if there's a Goblin in the Fountain or not. But um, anyway, all these humanoid autonomous creatures are like looking up at the the humans being like oh my gosh you're the 
echelons of, you know, what I aspire to because I cannot be anything but what I am, and that is not a human. Caleb, you're going to say something? Well, I just think I think that's an interesting read of the movie, uh, and it does uh, kind of uh, raise the point that these are, especially R2, they comment about how smart and wise he is. You know, George Lucas has always said that the Star Wars is a story about R2-D2 mm. and C-3PO. Uh, hence, they're in every single movie, as no other character is. So, and to speak to the source material, um, you know, this is in some ways an adaptation of Akira Kurosawa's film, The Hidden Fortress, which is mostly a story of two peasants who are along for the ride. While again, very much in a class system where samurai is a class. You're born. The only way you can be a samurai in Japan in the feudal era is if you're born a samurai. I mean, again, it's very aristocratic in that sense. And so, I think perhaps that source material, source material, is part of what's playing in to this sort of class reading that Alex is offering. Yes. So that um, that always kind of struck me. I never really considered the perspective of the droids before. The second point I have to talk about is go- Star Wars' uh, government system, I suppose. In the chamber with Grand Marth Tarkin, there were discussions of the dissolution of the Imperial Senate by the Emperor, which apparently was a, ch- a chamber, a unicameral body that had represented from all the planets in it. One of the commanders in the room goes, how will the emperor maintain control without the bureaucracy? Um, well, first of all, that mis- this commander misspoke. If, if the members of the Senate are actually elected officials, part of a body that makes legislation on behalf of the entire system, like the entire solar system, then they're not part of the bureaucracy. That's not what that is. Bureaucracy part of the the uh, executive branch. Um, But if they were appointed members and the Senate is not so much a lawmaking entity, but essentially an an executive agency, like a board or a commission that they like implement the wishes of like some other executive, I guess the emperor, um, he, um, this would actually make sense in that context. The chief executive, uh, well, considering he's not so much an emperor, but an intergalactic dictator who can do what he wants, um, he can theoretically dissolve this body. But it kind of, I struggle to know why he could dissolve it if they were like all elected officials, besides just I, ha- I say so and I have a Death Star. Um, so all this to say, it's really interesting that the emperor wants to single-handedly rule the galaxy because he's not into local governance matters, because he blatantly says the regional governors can control the local systems. I don't think it's quite at the this, this stage of them being like puppet governments, because he's sound, he sounds like, as long as they don't mess with me, we can just leave them alone. It's fine. Um, so it's it's difficult for me how to understand how he could have this true power over the entire galaxy if his spread of control is so expansive. If he's a dictator, I just question in his force the dark side of the force wisdom how he expects to have like legitimate power over all the planets in this this galactic system considering his his government power and authority because like i mean he's going to be always if it wasn't going to be one rebellion is going to be the next rebellion I, I mean i'm just that's all to say i'm just like contemplating the the system of governance in star wars well uh <laughs> I, alex i think that's an interesting point in the context of this movie i don't think it makes a lot of no, sense no it, it doesn't uh, I, and i know that we go to the senate later and, yeah, yeah and it, it vaguely I mean, it, it, it makes more it makes more sense after the prequels i mean it's still kind of a sloppy scene the way to, they describe it is it it's it's it is a little confusing in terms of geopolitics the planet equals the nation state um, right for the right. most part yes and, i mean so it's, it's an oversimplified you know I mean, yeah. obviously any individual world would probably be made up of several governments oh yeah i never even considered you know the the sub governments at the planetary like on a planet the planetary level but like world government for everyone. <laughs> like, well, they talked about like regional governors. So is that like, yes, a, like, a group, yeah. like a group of planets working together? How does that work? Right. Yeah. yeah it's, it's never really fully flushed. I'm sure there's some fan book out there somewhere. Oh, that's I am so treat. sure. There's actually this really great Vox think piece about how the, how is presented in the movies. The galactic Senate is really, um, a bad system of government that shouldn't be trusted to like draft a constitution or anything like that. Um, that would be totally worth a read um, about this topic specifically. 
Thank you very much for that analysis, Ms. Alexander Bohannon. Let's move on, though, and I want to talk a little bit about uh, my analysis, which is um, subtitled, How Star Wars Ruined the 70s. And uh, ruined is maybe a little bit of a strong word, but I want you to flash backward with me and think about the sort of films that were coming out with the new Hollywood, inspired by the French New Wave, uh, inspired by the new American cinema, the avant-garde movement led by Jonas Mikas and others. And we've got movies like Easy Rider. We've got movies like Bonnie and Clyde. We've got The Wild Bunch. We've got uh, films like The Graduate happening. We've got Midnight Cowboy. You know, we've got those kind of films being made in Hollywood, and they're making a ton of money. They're they're profitable features. We've got the Godfather films. We've got Mean Streets with Martin Scorsese. We've got the Roger Corman junk films coming out that are very interesting in their own sort of generic sort of way, but they're they're very idiosyncratic. And even though they're sort of specific in terms of their audiences, they're all very very profitable films. Then along comes 75, we have a film called Jaws, which, uh, which is sort of an outlier. But Hollywood began to realize that you can make an individual film that makes a ton of money. And then 1977 rolls around, and we've got this film called Star Wars. And it is the real blockbuster. I mean, uh, of course... Jaws is absolutely the first blockbuster as far as that phenomenon goes. But as far as something that could be franchisable, something that could be sort of formulaic, something that should, could be in, uh, imitable in terms of other films goes, Star Wars is the first time this happens. And what studios then sought to do as we look at the films of the 80s, I'm looking at you, Back to the Future. I'm looking at uh, you know lots and lo- lots of other films, even individual films like E.T. even, which is a film I like a lot. But we look at these films, and they become uh, – child-oriented, they become slightly dumber, they become less... I mean, let's just think about just sort of the problems we have with Star Wars, Um, you know, going to Toshi Station to get some power converters and those sort of line readings, the fact that it's a very, very simpler, simple sort of fantasy epic, the fact that lightsabers don't actually make sense in any semblance of a real world. And? Oh, okay. They're cool. And and, and that is the rule, though. That is my point. The rule of cool begins to rule the day, and the rule of thought no longer becomes as relevant. That is a thing that happened. Now, I I like that Star Wars happened. What I don't like is what happened on an industry level, is that when Star Wars happened, everyone began to imitate that. And films like The Godfather, The Graduate... Easy Rider, etc., which leads back a little into the I was 60s. say, most of the movies you listed earlier were 60s movies. Late 60s, I didn't want to interrupt you. 60s into the 70s. But this is what New Hollywood's doing, right? And this is, this is ongoing into the 70s. Interesting films are being made. And then we have this thing occur, and they go, oh, you know what? The money is in this. And what happened was the middle began to be squeezed out. And what we see now in terms of film in, in, in the United States is that we have your $100 million-plus films. And then we've got some money being made for your, let's say, a million dollars or less films. But they don't make $50 million films anymore. They don't make $25 million films anymore, for the most part. I mean, the, you can always give me ex- uh, exceptions yeah. that prove the rule, but you know what I'm but trying not, to say. There's, yeah, I know what you're saying. And, and you're right. For, by and large, they're not making that many mid, mid-range budget movies anymore. Because what studios discovered at that point is that you could make a tentpole production right, that appeals to the lowest common denominator – and I would say the Star Wars, again, appeal – it's definitely a great appeal. I mean it's a movie that I like a lot, but it definitely appeals to a lowest common denominator. It is um, escapism to a great extent. It is not really wrestling with issues. We, we talked a lot about uh, culture and race, and we talked about class and just the bit of analysis we've done so far. But the film really doesn't so much wrestle with it as much as those things are present because of present in society. Right, as cultural yeah. artifacts. They're not films that deal with what it means to be a graduate from college and you don't know what you want to do with your life. This existential crisis that people are facing. Well, and I think, you know, uh, and that's why Jedi and Empire are better movies because they do actually wrestle with things and more, much more than the extent to which Star Wars does. Um, I, I get what you're saying. I'm glad Star Wars happened. I love that this happens. I have children right now. We're going to see Episode Seven. It's going to be fantastic. You know, I'm very, very pumped about this stuff occurring. But what I wish had happened is in 1974, Alejandro Jodorowsky had gotten his version of Dune off. Yeah. The if yeah. that had happened, and that had made money, they would have found a way. Okay, so there's a way to make sort of larger budget films that are adult in their content and their orientation. And also we can make these children-oriented films, like the, well, the glut of Marvel movies that we experience And I think now. that's a, a real big part of the problem is um, a, a fear of making expensive movies for adults. 
Yes. Uh, which I think Crimson Peak is the only recent example I can think of an, of an expensive movie made for adults. We shouldn't be so afraid to make films that kids don't care to go see. No, I agree. I, yeah, I, Dustin, I agree with everything you're saying. Um, and it's, it's an argument that I've heard made before, and it's not one that I disagree with. It's, it's kind of one of those who, who can say. The insistence of studios on making only tentpoles doesn't keep better film, be, good films from being made uh, because we live in an age where anybody can make a movie. But then it becomes a question of getting those films a viewing. I mean, that, that becomes a real problem. And that's true. No, I mean, it's... Blue Ruin is a movie we both love. Yeah. And no one saw it. No. Well, what I would submit is a movie like Blue Ruin could have made a lot of money if a studio had gotten behind it, put some media budget behind it. Because it feels like a 70s movie. It, it, well, in some ways. But it, it's, it's a very, very brilliant sort of character study. It's got the violence. Yeah. It's got all the sort of sexy things that you know sell film and make film you know a visual pleasure. It's mm-hmm. got all that stuff going on for it. But... There is no way to get that kind of movie financed unless you happen to be one of the American auteurs like a Paul Thomas Anderson or someone like that. And we need to find some sort of structure to get those films to be made. And part of the reason why we can't find it and why studios are reluctant to put that together is because of the Star Wars phenomenon. And I don't want to sound like an angry curmudgeon at this point. I don't know. You know, and maybe I do a little bit because I love that Star Wars happened. You're wearing uh, a very curmudgeonly hat. Well, uh, fair enough. And uh, and, I, and I love that there are comic book movies. I'm a comic book fan. I love Batman. I'm so I'm so excited about Superman v or Batman v Superman Donald Justice. I can't stand myself. Like this is stuff I love, and I'm glad that it's happening. What makes me angry is it's all that's happening. If that makes sense. No, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, there's no room for the, the market dollars to, to have adult movies made when they're all going towards the superhero blockbusters. Yeah. Alrighty then. Well, I guess that is it for our analysis at this point. Uh, we've had a great discussion so far. We'd love for you to log in your comments as well. We'll tell you more about that here in just a few minutes, but we must come to a point where we must make a verdict, which I think is probably a little unnecessary at this point, but I'm more interested in hearing your else's as we say, Star Wars for uh, A New Hope. Shell for trash, and based on that decision, what else or instead should you watch? Mr. Arthur Gordon, what do you have to say? Yeah, you shelf it. I mean, especially as part of the larger uh, franchise and canon. And so, yeah, it's a necessary component of that. Uh, So it's on the shelf. Um, Else, I would say the Lego movie. I think would be a fun pairing, a great pairing, especially with all the homage to Star Wars in there, uh, which is just a great blast. It's a lot of fun, and it subverts that hero's journey quite a bit, which I like about it. Um, also watch uh, Big Trouble in Little China, which again plays with that idea of the hero's journey and, and what uh, Joseph Campbell wrote uh, in in his monomyth. And so those are a couple ones. And then also you got to check out Clerks, uh, which is a great pairing and, and uh, just simply for Randall's monologue about the Death Star and all of those poor, poor contracted workers who lost their lives. They knew what they were getting themselves into. And those would be my... Those a would real be my... contractor thinks with this. <laughs> I think that's the line. Oh, man. Clerks is a classic movie. I would give Star Wars A New Hope seven... Do you think he means old Ben Kenobis? Out of 12. Excellent. Thank you very, very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you say? Shelf or trash? What's your else or your instead? Yeah, it's it's the shelfable film, obviously. Uh, and that's... I, I already own it. Um... But, yeah, it's important. Star Wars is important. And, guys, I cannot wait to see The Force Awakens. I can't I can't even explain to you how excited I am. Um, I cried the last time I watched one of the... Basically, every time I watch one of the trailers, I cry. Because I'm a tiny, tiny baby down at the bottom of my heart. Um, Star Wars is wonderful, and uh, I'm glad it exists. And uh, I know Dustin's glad it exists, and I know it makes him happy. Um no matter what. I would recommend you pair with it a film we talked about two weeks ago, uh, Starship Troopers. I think that's a really interesting pairing with Star Wars. Uh, I would also recommend Alien, which is another sci-fi film from the 1970s that is uh, as important and as influential and better, uh, honestly. Alien is better than Star Wars. Alien is not better than, well, I'm not going to say that. Alien is definitely better than Star Wars, though. Correct. I would think it's a much fairer fight between Alien and Empire, uh, but it's definitely better than Star Wars. Um, so I think 
Uh, take two movies with insectoid-like alien death machines, Starship Troopers and Alien, and take those frightening versions of Galaxies Far, Far Away and pair that with Star Wars. Excellent. Thank you very much. My final ranking is... Yeah, I would agree with Arthur. I'd probably go seven Oldman Kenobis out of possible ten, though, as opposed to twelve. Excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Miss Alexander Bohannon, shelf for trash, else or instead? Shelf it. It it means too much to like the wider world, and you got to start somewhere if you're making a large cultural phenomenon. Um, I would pair this film with um, you know other large franchises. Going back to D- Dustin's point, so you could. Watch, you know, the hero's journey as portrayed in Lord of the Rings. You could watch the hero's journey as portrayed in Harry Potter. You could watch the hero's journey as portrayed in, I don't know, like, think about this kind of uh, Transformers, even though I'm not really recommending Transformers, but if you want that, you know, that journey, you can, you can find it a lot of places that become these giant blockbuster films. Yeah, Transformers 1 isn't bad. Um, So you can find those there. I would also recommend uh if you want the a similar cultural flair and aesthetic um of 70s sci-fi then i would tell you go watch old doctor who because it is it can be just as cheesy and fun and thoughtful and thought-provoking i'd say as um as at least the first star wars movie in terms of quality um but i would i would recommend those and then my final rating would be 9.8 out of a possible 14.5. Excellent. Thank you very much, Ms. Alexander Bohannon. Mr. Caleb Masters, what do you say? Shelf or trash? Else or instead? Uh, So yeah, uh, shelf it. I own this movie like three times, guys. And I'm sure whenever they eventually, whenever Disney decides to cash in and release the original uh, edits of the films on Blu-ray also, I will also own those. So yeah, I mean, it's not the best Star Wars, but you definitely have to shelf it. This is a movie that you should have, especially if you love movies, so that you can show it to other people uh, who are trying to get into movies or are curious about Star Wars. It's just, it's just an essential. It's an essential to every movie collection. Uh, you know, uh, else, uh, definitely, uh, Dalton mentioned uh, I was going to recommend The People versus George Lucas if you have interest in my analysis I brought today. Uh, also, go check out The American Graffiti. That's, that's, that's actually a really great George Lucas movie. I really wish... Had Star Wars not as been as successful as it was, I would have loved to have seen him made more movies like that. American Graffiti is really good. It's been years since I've seen it, but I remember really loving it. Yeah, I, I also got to throw out, uh, if you want to see influences, got to watch those old Flash Gordon shows, Conquerors of the Universe. Check it out. And lastly, because I love Star Wars, and if you want to understand the importance of the cultural impact and the touchstone we have here, go watch Fanboys. Not the greatest movie ever, but there's a lot of joy to be had from that it's, movie. It's fun. Yeah, and then, of course, we've got to get my final rating, which is going to be eight stormtroopers walking, uh, dinging their heads on the, <laughs> on the door out of a possible nine. The one good, that's like one of the only good changes in the special editions. It's not a change in the special edition. No, 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 no. They added a, a comic sound effect, though. Oh, okay, did they? Outstanding, outstanding. Thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Masters. What I would like to say in terms of review and shelf and trash is absolutely shelf this movie. This movie is a cultural touchstone. This movie is vitally important to your cultural literacy. You're you're not doing life right if you haven't seen this movie. I absolutely recommend it. But I also recommend you see other movies that you explore deeper and uh, other ideas and possibilities. And I'll make my recommendations limit themselves to science fiction. Check out Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey. And then check out Andre Tarkovsky's uh, Solaris and wrestle with science fiction in other ways, what it means to be a human being, what it means to be human beings, and those sorts of questions. Uh, as far as a rating goes, I'm going to give it, uh, I don't know, 37 and a third Womp Rats um, blasting from my TH-16 back home out of a possible, oh, I don't know, um, 50. And so, yeah, it's fun. It's fine, and you should definitely, definitely watch it. But enough of this. Let's talk about social media and how the conversation can go on, because I know, dear listener, we have probably raised your ire about several things, and you want to say some things about what we've said so far. Mr. Arthur Gordon, how can they get in contact with us? Uh, there are a few different ways. You can check us out at facebook.com forward slash good trash genre cast, one word. Uh, you can go over there, like our page, uh, reply to our uh, posts, share our posts, and just connect with us on Facebook. Uh, you can find us on Google+. Plus. You could email us at goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. Uh, we would love to get your feedback. We would love to hear your thoughts on what we're doing, what we're saying. 
so we always love to connect with our audience and our listeners. And so please uh, engage us in those ways so we can keep the conversation going with you uh, the rest of the week. Excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, do you have anything else about social media means by which the conversation could be held? I do, as a matter of fact, Dustin. You can find the Good Trash Honorcast on Twitter at good underscore trash. Is there any feedback there? Not really. Uh, I will say this, though. Casper Van Diem, uh, I, I was going to say favorited, but that's not a thing anymore. He liked our tweet uh, of the uh, Starship Troopers uh, episode again. Just, that's it. Yeah, I know he's. I know I already told you he's following us, but... Uh, uh, but no, not not a whole lot of uh, action on uh, Twitter this week. Some fun videos. D- uh, Brigham shared something with us that I had actually heard about right, literally right before he sent it to me. Uh, but the, this writer took out a uh, full page ad in the Hollywood Reporter uh, after learning that people are insisting on making more Die Hard, and there uh, a Die Hard Year One is in the works. Uh, and uh, a screenwriter took out a full page ad in the Hollywood Reporter and was basically like, "For the love of God, if you insist on making this movie." Please use this idea because I it's, I think it's really good, um, and I thought that was kind of funny. But uh, no, not a, not a whole lot of feedback coming in this week from Twitter. And now we're gonna do a thing that we always do, because as we look at our watches, we realize it's time to play this week's game. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. That's right, dear listener. This week's game is our favorite fictional universes. That's right, favorite fictional universes, brought to you by Star Wars. Star Wars, it's a war in the stars. <laughs> Correct. Oh. I think Bill Murray's got something to sing about that for you. Oh my. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. What are your picks for favorite fictional universe? Star Wars. Okay, besides Star Wars. Star Wars. Okay, do I have to pick another one? Are you a tweaker? Or say something or something. No, that's it. Guys, I, there's not a fictional universe I like more than Star Wars. Um, the only thing that maybe even comes close... No, it's Star Wars. I can't even... I like Firefly a, a lot. I, most of the things I like that are other fictional universes are heavily influenced by Star Wars, though. It is my very favorite fictional universe. Uh, I love it to pieces. I wanted to be a Jedi so bad when I was a little boy. So bad. I want to do badass lightsaber fights. Ugh. It combines two of some of my favorite things, which are good fight choreography, uh, science fiction, um, and pulpy uh, adventure stories. It's great. It's wonderful. It's, it is my favorite fictional universe, hands down, without exception. Outstanding. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Caleb Masters, what's your pick? Yeah, I got, picks. A, got a, I got a couple. Uh, two that would probably not be great universes to actually exist in, but I love reading about and exploring and being a part of because I find the world really fascinating and also insightful as it says they both say a lot of things about our own world. First and foremost, you have to look at Game of Thrones. Oh, man. God, so many interesting things. I, I still argue to this day the the exploration of human nature is is better than any any other fictional universe or book or movie than I've ever seen. Like the, the way the characters, because they have time to grow on like a movie where you're limited to two hours, you have tons of time to spend with these characters and the way they're all fleshed out. And if, especially if you read the books and you get to, you, uh, you get to explore the different character perspectives. So not only do you see that character the way other people see them, but you, you see how they see themselves and how they see their characters. It's, it's freaking brilliant. Uh, I have never seen a show that's gotten understood people or show or book or universe that understands people better than Game of Thrones. Not to mention, wow, just uh, the the like real life. Uh, you know the it's it's kind of hard to survive sometimes. Uh, one, the other one, and that second pick of universes that would suck to exist in would be the X Men universe because I love me some X Men way the heck more than I actually like the rest of the Marvel universe. X Men, uh, just having all the cool powers and seeing how those people bond together over their kind of unusual circumstances and have to learn to work together, but also learn to protect a world that despises them. Oh, and then they have time travel because I love time travel and I love all the time travel. Uh, lastly, universe that would be actually kind of cool to exist in uh, that uh, doesn't get enough credit in pop culture, I don't think, is the uh, recent Avatar: The Last Airbender universe. Mm, Avatar, is so good, <sighs> so good. It's, I mean, it's it's, it's kid friendly, but the, the the especially when you get to core, they start to to wrestle with a lot more uh, a lot of more complex themes. And like X Men, I like that pick a lot. It's 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 so it's so good. It's so good. It's a great uh, great for kids, and then uh, as the kids grow, definitely show them Korra because it's, it's the same maturity. And like the characters are very even in the original show are very well rounded and interesting and cool come on 
Who doesn't want to, like, bend fire or lift rocks with their powers? I mean, come on. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Masters. Uh, Miss Alexander Bohannon, what's your pick? Guys, if you've ever listened to this show before, you know it's Harry Potter. Come on! And the worlds of Hogwarts, Harry and Company. Gosh, like, I cannot talk enough about Harry Potter. And um, if you have anything to talk about Harry Potter, like, you can come and sit by me all day and we will have a fest. Um, yeah, the the universe, the, the magic system, that doesn't make sense. I mean, it, Harry Potter is really similar to, like, Star Wars, where it has... A lot of fan passion behind it. There's like, but there are gaping plot holes. There are logical inconsistencies in the system of how things work, like the magic slash the force. Yeah, we we know it's there. You still love it. You still want to learn all about that world. Um, but yes, so Harry Potter, Harry Potter is all day long. Yeah, excellent. Thank you for that, Miss Alexander Bohannon, Mister Arthur Gordon. What say you? Um, I'm going to start with one that I really enjoy reading about, and that is Stephen King's Northeast. America. Go on. I don't know anything about this. All of the, I mean... A oh, large, this is like his fictional Castle Rock area. Yeah. Okay, yeah. tenfold. The interconnected uh, universe he creates within his novels and the, the small little connections he makes here and there, it's always fun. And so I really greatly uh, appreciate that and I love that that kind of connection there that he makes and I think it's really a fascinating uh, thing for an author to do. <clears throat> um, secondly, uh, Caleb just inspired me and I would love to live in in the Pokemon universe. Oh, man. I would. I mean... Where dog fighting's legal. All right. I mean, it's near and dear to my heart and my childhood, and part of me wants a Squirtle that I could train as my own. You see it right now. Dustin's making a face. He's making a face. It's It's real. Look at it, though. That's what it is. I I heard a paper on colonialism and, like, you know, catching them all and, you know, taking these bodies and using them to exploit, but I never got the sort of, you know... Non-sentient being, you know, dog fighting, cock fighting kind of thing going in. Yeah, wow. that's there. Wow. Yeah. But it wouldn't be cool as Fight a 14-year-old money. kid to, like, go on your own hero's yeah. journey, right? I just want to run around these really beautiful lands and with my pal Squirtle, and we would just hang out and, and maybe fight some people and earn some money and just have some fun, maybe get some gym badges. I don't know. You know, the weirdest gym in the world where you don't actually you know, exercise or work out. You don't have a mom telling you what to do. She just lets you go when you're 14? Yeah. See you, Mom. Deuces. I'm going to go travel the country. On foot, with these monsters everywhere on the loose trying to kill me. Um, lastly, I'm, I'm going to go back uh, again to another uh, universe that's kind of near and dear to my heart due to uh, connections with moments in life at critical times, and that's Narnia, uh, which yes, is please. joy oh, yes. and hope, I think, oh. placed into a land. And I love Narnia, and I, I love everything about Narnia and Aslan, and it's, it's definitely near and dear to my heart. And I would, I would, I would always like to go to Narnia sometime. Maybe in the future. Just keep oh, checking those wardrobes God. every Arthur, day. You Check everyone. Make me cry, like yes. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Narnia was one of my picks, um, but I also um, C.S. Lewis's fellow inkling, J.R.R. Tolkien's Middle Earth, is a big pick for me. I would love to spend some time there, um, and again, perhaps in the age uh, of the second age or the first age, like a Numenor before, like all that stuff went down. Uh, and that's super, super deep cut nerdism. But any point in, in time uh, therein, I would love to be part of that and chill with the elves, if at all possible. Also, I love the universe of the Matrix. I love the idea of being uh, a freedom fighter, jacking oh, shit. and living in the world. Like, yeah. Get me there. Get I forgot there that now. one. Yes, please. that might be my next favorite after Star Wars. Yeah, I yeah. want to know kung fu. After There's not enough ex- file in my head. Why does the Matrix not have more expanded universe? It should. Oh, man, yeah. there should be more. Yeah, I just want to know kung fu. Yes, please. I want the shortcut. I don't know if I'm so excited about the uh, the cold gruel, gruel that might taste like uh, chicken or tasty wheat. Yeah, um, not, not for that. But uh, yeah, man. As long as I can eat that steak every once in a while inside the Matrix, I'm good to go. Yeah, ignorance is bliss. Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you for those picks, dear uh, co-host, dear listener. We'd love to hear your picks as well. You can do that via those magical means of social media that we've already discussed. But now we must conclude the show, as we always do, with what's got us fired up this week in pop culture. The roof! The roof! The roof is on!
That's right. We don't need no water. We're going to let it all burn, dear listener. And we're so glad to be talking about fired upness and pop culturedness and all of the things that we're excited about. Miss Alexander Bohannon, I hope you brought the fire today. Tell me what you think. Uh, just, just one thing to fire upon my cylinders. Well, two things. I lied to you. I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> um, I just learned about. Okay, this. no three things. <laughs> Yes. One, three, five. Five. Five things. Uh, no. Um, one of which I actually learned of during the show. Have you guys heard of hashtag all my movies? No. I'm, Wait, I'm is this, late. Is this, is this shy? I'm late coming to this game. I know what this is. Okay. Oh, man. So this past week, Shia LaBeouf watched all of his movies yes. in reverse chronological order oh, no. for 24 hours yes. a day the camera for the past on his three face. days. Three days. This week. And? Oh, did you tell me the best part, though? Yeah, uh, what's the best part? He's live streaming the whole thing. Yeah, so he live streamed it. Yes, so you can watch it. It's The stream's over now, but you can watch it the entire stream. And he also opened the theater to for people to join him to watch in his marathon. Yeah, I have a oh link to God. this. So it's hashtag all my movies. James Franco wishes he was Shia LaBeouf. Um, so I saw Jessica, the Jessica Jones new trailer, and it looks so, so good. Um, it looks straight up my street in terms of, you know, feminine, badass, kicking ass, taking names, um, and superpowers. So that's always fun. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Ms. Alexander Bohannon. Mr. Caleb Masters, are you fired up this week? Uh, a little bit. There's that one thing I'm not going to mention because I've already mentioned the last two weeks that I spent most of my time being fired up about. So I didn't have a lot of other fire to spread around. Um, how how was playing the unmentionable thing that ends with four? Well, you know, I actually didn't get to play it as much as I thought I would, as one would think. But man, it's so good! It's so good. Me and Caleb Are we even talking about video game anymore. I don't even know what's going. Caleb on. Caleb and I have both been b- mostly playing Fallout Four uh, this last yeah. week since Tuesday. Yeah, I don't think I've done anything else. Really. Um, I, I have done other things, which is to, to my detriment. However, uh, but you no, know, there are other things. There are other things, though. Uh, quickly, uh, one of the things I did have the pleasure of doing was long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. I started watching Hannibal season one, and I quite liked it. But then life happened, and I've been slow but surely trudging along. But I, I put in about another five episodes of Hannibal season two, and I can't believe I say this every time. I'm never going to get over the fact that this show was on NBC. How? How? I don't know. How? The things they're getting away with is HBO levels of gore. It's such a violent and weird and gross and amazing and beautiful show. Yeah, I mean, I read the fucking Wikipedia page and was wondering that myself. I mean, you actually watch it. I'm like, yeah, I know this A isn't for me. How is this on network television? Uh, I don't know. It's... (laughs) Somehow, very tastefully and artistically shot. I don't think Alex like, would. No, I don't think probably Alex not. Would, no, it's no. so probably good. No, it's so uh, good. but it, it's it's, so it's really great. Good. It's great. It's addicting, and especially the latter half of season two, it's kind of like a freight train. You just got to keep going and going. It's yeah, great. season two is. Really I haven't good. finished season two yet. I'm whole, uh, whole, due to outside circumstances. I'm holding off on finishing that one, but I'm very excited to finish that. Uh, other thing that I'm fired up about is uh, don't want to belabor the point. But uh, Nintendo does these things called Nintendo Directs about three or four times a year where they make an announcement. They just talk about stuff that's coming out this year. Eh, anyway, I don't want to gush on Nintendo, but there's one thing happened that fanboy culture has been asking for for a long time. And, huh. and by fanboy culture, I mean 90s fanboys who grew up playing game consoles on PlayStation and Nintendo back in the 90s. Mm-hmm. They announced that Cloud Strife is going to be in Super Smash Brothers. Oh, that's cute. Uh, which is fun, but my freaking Twitter feed lit up about this thing. All the people who are like on the West Coast who do the gaming thing were going nuts about it. Uh, it's really cool. It's uh, basically uh, for people out there who don't really do that thing. Just kind of picture um, if Batman showed up to fight uh, Batman showed up in the Avengers. like, And you're like, oh, holy crap. That's a big deal. It, it would make no sense. It would make but no sense. No. Well, fun. Yeah, but people yeah, would like it. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a fun kind of bone there. And then lastly, uh, so if you're into console gaming, and you grew up in the 90s, you probably appreciate that. Uh, and lastly, I'm pretty fired up about checking out two movies for our show, Back to the Movies, this week, where we're catching The Night Before and Catching Fire Part 2 on Tuesday. So very excited to talk about those with some of these folks around the table. Uh, but that, that's about all I have, Dustin. Thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Masters. Mr. Arthur Gordon, are you fired up this week? Yes, briefly. Uh, it's time, once again, for the annual winter... Barnes & Noble 50% off Criterion sale. Uh, and so it's time for my yearly shill of the Criterion collection, uh, which can be found at barnesandnoble.com or in locations where they sell movies because some Barnes & Nobles don't, and those are stupid. Thank you, Norman. Norman. 
you yeah, know, lack of movies. Um, and so I picked up the the Palm Beach story and uh, my dear Laundrette today, and, and so I am excited about that. And so if you're looking for rare, hard to find, foreign, artistic, independent films, check out the Criterion. There's some fun stuff on there. There's some weird stuff on there. There's all kinds of stuff on Criterion. So definitely check that out. Excellent. Thank you for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, are you fired up this week? Yeah, I've been playing a lot of Fallout 4, and, and, and that's that's mostly it. Uh, I did, between last week and now, finish uh, Master of None, which only got better. Uh, Aziz Ansari's Master of None. It's fantastic. Uh, the last three episodes are some of the best television I think I've seen in a very long time. Yeah. It's, and I did uh, catch up with the pilot episode for The Man in the High Tower, which I really liked. Uh, I'm going to try to watch episode two later this evening, uh, and then the uh, full series uh, or the full season one will hit Amazon Prime streaming services uh, on Friday uh, at the same time. Just of Jessica this, Jones. This week? Yeah, this Friday. Oh. Uh, but yeah, I really enjoyed the first episode of The Man in the High Tower. It was very good. I've been meaning to watch it for a while. It was good. Uh, I, I believe uh, with Bob and David, um, Netflix's follow up to Mr. Show with Bob and David from the HBO days. I think that actually. It is there, and I yeah. have watched it, and it's hilarious. Yeah, that's I, I I knew it was coming soon. I just didn't know when. Yeah. It kind of went under the radar as compared to like Master of None and Jessica Jones. Um, but I'm excited about that. So, but again, I've mostly just been playing a lot of Fallout Four. Uh, yeah. How did we not mention that in favorite universes again? Because I don't want to live in that universe. It's very sad. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I am fired up about a singular thing. I skipped class last week because what? I needed some sanity management. And as you may or may not know, I'm teaching English Composition 1 at the university I adjunct at. And the first half is all Dracula. The second half is all Batman. And I binged a bunch of the Fox series Gotham. I mean, Gotham. And so good. No, it's not. It's no, it is. It's so much fun. It, I don't. Who are you? I like it. This guy is so saying he doesn't oh, like Star is, Wars. Oh, Star Wars! Boo! Like, I watched the first five episodes. He of says that they're show. both fun, but says Gotham's no, it's soap good. opera. It's absolutely soap opera kind of stuff. But it's about Batman, and I love that. I know it's it's vaguely about Batman. It's about. Jim Gordon and criminals in yeah. Batman's life, so but it's not like, much about Batman. It's though. like this gritty neo-noir that sort of touches the superhero universe, and it it's got soap opera It just touches all of your little sweet places. You know, yes, I it think. does, and, and I don't and mind that And that's why you like it. Correct. And I, there's no reason for me not to like those things. Yes, I like Gotham a lot, and I recommend it highly. I don't care what anybody's got to say. Um, well, there you go, dear listener. You've heard our recommends and our fired up at Nesses and what have you and whatnot. It's now time for a host pick this month, and that host pick goes to one Miss Alexander Bohannon. Miss Bohannon, reveal your pick at this time. Oh, man. Uh, this is uh, just like the small director um, named uh, David Fincher and his 2014 production of Gone Girl. Okay. Oh, good <laughs> pick. All right. Nick Dunn, you're probably the most hated man in America right now. Did you kill your wife, Nick? Everyone told us and told us marriage is hard work. Not for me and Nick. As you all know, my wife, Amy Elliott Dunn, disappeared three days ago. I had nothing to do with the disappearance of my wife. I have nothing to hide. Has Amy got friends we can talk to? No, not really. You don't know if she has friends, you don't know what she does all day, and you don't know your wife's blood type. He's being a good guy, so everybody can see him being a good guy. Well, you really don't like him, do you? All I'm trying to do is be nice to the people who are volunteering to help find Amy. I will practice believing my husband loves me, but I could be wrong. Have you ever seen that guy in the glasses before? Amy is the kind of girl who attracts admirers. Whoever took her is bound to bring her back. I'm hoping you can tell me what this means. Want to solve Amy's treasure hunt? You seen this girl around here? Yeah, I remember her. I know you. I saw you at the volunteer center. I wanted to help. What'd she want? She wanted a gun. We are all scared, but we are all here now. I feel like something to be jettisoned if necessary. I feel like I could disappear. The hallmark of a sociopath 
is a lack of empathy. Amy lost a lot of blood in there. Then somebody mopped it up. Why do they mop up the blood if they're trying to stage a crime scene? Whatever they found, I think it's safe to assume that it's very bad. I finally realized I am frightened of my own husband. I would show you, as if you're doing a deposition, what to say, what not to say. A trained monkey? A trained monkey who doesn't get lethal injections. She's going to eat you alive. You assaulted her? It's not good enough for you? I hit her? It's not even close. Absolutely not. I never touched her. We now believe Nick is involved in the disappearance of our daughter. Without a body, without a murder weapon, their only hope is a confession. You don't know anything yet? You need to tell me. How was your marriage, Nick? Are you asking me if I killed my wife? Man of my dreams. This man of mine may kill me. What about my son? Nick! This man may kill me. In her own words, this man may truly kill me. You ever hear the expression, the simplest answer is often the correct one? Actually, I've never found that to be true. That's right, dear listeners. So we're going to be looking at Gone Girl. We're very, very excited to be doing that and doing some analysis thereof. Watch Star Wars if you haven't. If you have, watch it again and be part of the conversation with us all and discuss that film. And until then, um, make sure you have a conversation when you watch movies because that's what makes watching the movies so worthwhile. And until then, we'll see you next time.